Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, we'll get back to the point of what that's talking about in a minute. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As you all know, we have been walking through the book of Ephesians. This, uh, for those of you who have been with us this semester, this uh, spring I should say, uh, we've moved through chapters 1 and now we're in uh, 1, 2, 3, 4 and now we're in chapter 5. As we entered chapter 4, we got to see the fact that Paul is going to give a lot of ethical teachings about how to live as a Christian, how to live the Christian life. What are the ways that a Christian is going to put into practice the truths about Jesus, the truths about the gospel? So that was most of chapter 4, right? Do you guys remember any of it? Maybe, maybe not. If you don't, trust me. (laughs) No worries. But we talked about things like truthfulness. Instead of lying to one another and hurting the relationships in our lives, Paul talks about the fact that we need to be truthful. This is a way that we live out the gospel. Another thing he talked about, if you remember, was anger. Anybody remember we talked about anger and the fact that when anger starts within our souls and moves up through our bodies and out of our mouths, it causes much destruction and the lives of the people around us. So instead of anger, Paul says, and this was right before we hit chapter 5, he said we need to forgive. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And now he's going to talk about this same thing here in chapter 5. He's going to say, now the other thing you need to do is to love as Christ has loved you. So those are the two bookends we're going to kind of focus on this morning. And we're going to look at the theology of what Paul is talking about here in chapter 5. This is essentially a pause. Because the chapter 4 of Ephesians is do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. And you're going to see as we get into chapter 5 next week, it's a lot more of do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Here's what a Christian life looks like. Here are the things you need to, the actions that need to be uh, taking place in your life. But this pause is exceptionally important for us. It's him inserting right into the center of all these ethical commands this glorious truth about who God is and about who Jesus is and about who we are. And we need to take note. So let's take note. And as we take note, I want to mention that I feel a little bit cheated. I feel duped. Not by Paul, but by my upbringing in modern-day America. Because as I grew up as a child of the 80s in America, I grew up looking at the Sears catalog. And inside the Sears catalog was every toy a child could ever possibly want. Now, I admit, for you younger folks in here, you have no idea what the Sears catalog is, and that's okay. Because you now have Amazon, which is like the Sears catalog on steroids. And I do love also looking through Amazon and putting things on my wish list or even at even better in my cart. But I, you know, I saw advertisements on Saturday morning cartoons for things that I needed or wanted as a child, especially Legos. Those were one of my favorites growing up. And I was told 
Even if it was a little bit subconscious or it was a little bit hidden, I was told that I needed to go to school so that I could get into a good college. And that I needed to go to a good college so that I could get a good job. And I needed to get a good job so that I could buy lots of things for myself and my kids. Because that was the good life. And as I've been digging into Ephesians, and as we see here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we're a little bit duped. We have it all wrong. Because that's exactly not what Paul is saying. He's not saying poverty is the right way to go, but he's saying the good life is found in some other place besides just acquiring stuff. The good life is what he's describing here, and he says it's intimacy with the Father. That is the good life. Jesus says the same thing in another passage. In chapter 6 of John, someone comes up to Jesus and says, how do we get eternal life? Or how do we get this thing called Zoe? And that's Jesus's term for the good life. And Jesus says, well, here's, here's what Zoe is. Here's eternal life. It's to know the Father. And when he says know, he means to be in intimate relationship with the Father. And when you have intimate relationship with the Father, you automatically get thrown in intimate relationship with me because I am the ultimate and final and only true Son of the Father. That's what it is. That's what the good life is. And If you remember from last week, we talked about this thing called Zoe. What does it look like in the real world? Zoe, the good life, as the Bible describes it. We said it's it's when we understand and we know that the past is paid for and that the future is free. Do you guys remember that from last week? The past is paid for, the future is free, we're going to stick there once again. And the only way that you can have a free and loving and intimate relationship with the Father with God the Father of the Bible, is when the past is paid for and the future is secure. The future is free. So let's dig into how Paul describes that here this morning in chapter 5. And y'all, I'm not blowing smoke by saying this is literally the meaning of life. That's not just hyperbole. This is the essence of Christianity. This is the essence of what it means to be connected to the God of the universe. It means that we are in direct relationship with this God. And here's what it's going to look like. It says, first of all, you are going to imitate your father. You're going to imitate God. And he says, you're going to imitate God because of something. And the because of something is really the most important part. Because you are a beloved child of the father. A beloved child. And So I'm actually going to reverse the outline that is in your little insert in your bulletin. And I, on the, in that insert, I put, we reflect, and then I put, we enjoy. Did you guys catch that in there? But I'm actually going to reverse those today because I think it's more important for us to start with the enjoy part and then move to the reflect part, okay? There you go. So you're welcome for the confusion. So we enjoy dearly loved children. <laughs> okay, so here's me. Uh, uh, yes, we were very anti-gun in our house growing up, you can tell. Uh, so this, the reason I got this is if you can see on my jacket that I'm wearing there, you see the letters S-C-H-O-L, do you see that? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, maybe too far away, this green thing that I'm wearing. But I wanted to show this picture because that's me and Ted. He was a next-door neighbor, and we used to go back in the woods, and we would play, you know, guns and, you know, fighting each other and things like that. And we loved to dress up in our dad's gear. 
So my dad was in the Vietnam War. And so that shirt that I'm wearing right there is actually what my father wore during the Vietnam War. And I loved, he actually had a hard hat too that, I, that we still have that I love to put on and just pretend, especially when I was a kid, pretend that I was my dad. I loved it. Because that's what you do when you're in intimate relationship with your father. You want to imitate them. Because you know, first and foremost, that they love you and you love them. And it is always a gift. It's always a gift that we are given. And I want to just absolutely focus on this this morning. I want to focus on this biblical doctrine called adoption. You may have heard it before, but it's this idea of the fact that we are brought into God's family. Through Jesus Christ, we become a son or a daughter of the Father. And this is at the very heart of our Christian walk, our Christian life, or what it even means to be a Christian. And I, wanna, I want you guys to take a little quiz. It's not really a quiz, and there's not going to be a grade for this, but I want you to just reflect for a minute with me this morning on where you are in your relationship with God. And here's the question I want you to ask. Do I live more as a son or a daughter of God, the God of the universe, or do I live more as an orphan? And let me describe what this looks like. We're going to talk first about what it looks like to live as an orphan, to live as someone who's disconnected from God the Father, the King of the universe. Number one, there's an expectation of abandonment. And with that expectation of abandonment, when we live as an orphan, is this idea that I don't have protection. Do you live with a lot of fear? Take the quiz. Do you live with a lot of fear? An orphan lives with a whole lot of fear. There's the fear of physical harm. There's the fear of someone we love being taken away from us. And there's just this general sense that even though I hear in the Bible every once in a while that God cares for me and that He's going to take care of me and that He loves me and is going to protect me, I don't really ever feel that way in real life. I'm afraid of pretty much everything. Now, I have one, and I've mentioned it before, fear of flying. I had a traumatic event one time when I was going down to Miami. We went through a thunderstorm, and from that point forward, I hate getting into an airplane. It's a tube of death, isn't it? Right. Okay, thank you. Now, God has walked me forward on that path. He has brought me more into the sonship that He promises me in Scripture. And as that has occurred, I have gotten more comfortable with flying. Am I perfectly comfortable? Absolutely not. But it's always a journey. It's always a process. As we grow closer to the Lord, as the intimacy increases with God the Father, we find that the fear is dispelled that he is actually on a campaign to remove fear from our life as we come under his protection. Now, here's another example of what happens when we begin to live under the protection of God the Father. We get what I call a healthy, thick skin. Quiz, that's quiz question number two. Do you have a healthy, thick skin? Here's what I mean. Words cannot hurt you. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Coming from a minister, right? Can you, have you gotten to the point where words don't, words don't hurt you? When somebody criticizes you and you're like, that just bounced off me. That floated off my back like a duck. 
no problemo. But this is, this is what God is getting at. He's saying, look, this is, I'm sorry, what Paul's getting at in this passage. He's saying, I only experience hurt from another person's words when I allow them to have power in my life. You don't have to allow another person's words to have power in your life. If the words of the Father saying, my son, my daughter, you are my beloved, you are my beloved child. If that dominates your heart, then it is true that there will be a process of other people's words having less impact. They just won't get through as deeply or as painfully as maybe they even get through this week or when you were growing up. Again, this is what God is working in all of our lives. There is a sense in which we are becoming less of an orphan and more of a child of the Father. Okay, so here's another thing. Another result of protection, of not being an orphan, is that we create some form of commitment in our lives. Fear, real fear, fear that hangs with us and that we wake up with and that we go to bed at night makes us isolate ourselves from other people. That is always the result of fear. Because we're afraid that if we love someone, if we get close with someone, that they're going to, just like others in our past, they're going to abandon us. But what Paul is promoting in Ephesians and what we've seen from this passage is that commitment to other people is a huge part of being and feeling a child of the Father. Commitment with other human beings. We're able to say, I'm ultimately protected, and so I can move into this relationship with gusto. (laughs) Take the quiz. Do you do that with other people? Or do you keep everyone in your life kind of at a little bit of an arm's length? Like, making sure they can't get too close and that you don't get too close to them so that at any moment you can say... We're done. I'm out of here. I do it, y'all. It's a real thing. It's a real thing to live as an orphan from the life of God. Okay, so so let's keep the quiz going. Here's another one. Check yourself on this one. If you are fearful and you really don't believe in God's protection, like you protect your own children, or like you were protected by your parents, if you really don't believe in it, here's what your life will also look like. You will be out for number one, that is yourself, and you will believe that the people around you are kind of out to get you. Do you ever have that feeling? Everybody's really trying to get you. Right? There's this sense in which I have a deficit of love because I don't really believe truly in the love of the Father for me. And so I must get love from other people. I need to manipulate them. I need to be a pathetic human being so that other people will surround me and will feed me their love. So I'm basically a gaping hole needing for other people to pour their love into me. And y'all, again, you may not recognize it, but just ask the people around you. Say, am I living more out of fear or am I living out of this sense of God the Father protecting me as a child like my parents protected me and like I protect my own kiddos? It's the default setting for a parent. You love them and you are going to do anything for them. You are going to throw your life out for your kids. Okay, so that's the first thing. That's the first indication that we might be living more as an orphan rather than as a child of the father. Let's look at the second thing. An orphan 
also sees relationships, and especially the one with God, as transactional. Transactional. What does that mean? Well, it basically means that a transactional relationship is like thinking of God as a bad boss, right? He's a bad boss. He is taking sort of a grade sheet on me. And if I've had a good day, then probably I might get some blessings from him. And if I've had a bad day, then he's probably going to punish me. And there's this very transactional, and, and, and there's this sense in which where the future is very uncertain, and I might be in trouble tomorrow, or I might be in trouble today, and there's not that sense of comfort and peace and settledness that a child in a family has. Now, I'm assuming the parents are decent in the family, and I know all of our parents were very flawed and very sinful, but you can use your imagination and think about a family that is functioning really well and how settled a child is in their relationship with their parents. You can go into your parents' room at 2 a.m., right? There's never a time where they say, I'm your boss. You don't call me at 2 a.m. and come in here with just your underwear. (laughs) You have unfettered access. You can go at any time and in any manner and in any form. That's how it is when you get that kind of love, when you understand that kind of love between you and your heavenly Father. It's a beautiful thing. It's no longer transactional. A transactional relationship is always focused on the here and now and on just making the sale, right? And then, ugh, and then I pull out. And that's how an orphan lives. If you think about an orphan living on the streets, even, maybe even here in Charlottesville, I don't think we have that many on the streets here, but there's a relationship with that kind of a child. If you've ever been a foster parent or something like that, it, it, it often is a transactional, right? They're going to try to get something from you quickly because they know that next week you might say, we no longer want this foster child. They know it and they feel it. That everything is always on the line. That the relationship is tenuous. But not so with a true child, right? I know that this is long term. This is going to outlast. It doesn't matter what I do. Parents, you can say this. Or if you're a child, you can ask your parents. It didn't matter what you did. Your parents were not going to abandon you. They were going to love you to the very end. They will love you to the very end. And that God is saying, that is the relationship I have with you, but it's like that times ten. I'm never, never going to abandon you. You can trust me every moment of every day. Finally, last little test. Are we living as an orphan or are we living as a true son or daughter of the Lord? Is this. An orphan feels poor. An orphan feels poor, right? They might be on the streets, but they know that they're not going to get much out of life, that they've got to steal from others, right? That's ultimately the kind of most negative thing about poverty is when it actually results in stealing from other people. And y'all, this happens even emotionally and spiritually with people that feel they're poor because they don't have a deep relationship with God. They begin to steal the joy of others. I can't really enjoy you succeeding. I can't really enjoy you having good things, I need to try to steal those things from you so that I can feel better about myself. Do you steal the joy of others? Or do you celebrate with others? Do you enjoy the good things in their life with them? Or do you get jealous? And do you get resentful of the people around you who have more than you? It's a good check on our hearts. Because if we truly believe what the Bible teaches, what Paul is teaching here in Ephesians, he says you have an incredible inheritance. In fact, you've been given a deposit. The Holy Spirit is the very deposit within your heart that God has an inheritance waiting for you, that the riches of God are yours and will be yours forever. And you can live, kick back, kick back, enjoy, in love. You're not poor. 
You're a son or a daughter of the king who owns everything in the entire universe. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, so that's the first part. Uh, oh, 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 no, 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 no. That's not just the... I have one other point, and this is a really important point. Let's focus for just a second as we finish this idea of enjoying God, being a son or a daughter of the Father. This part right here where it says, as beloved children, that, that word beloved is incredibly important for us to understand. It's the word agapitos in the Greek. You may have heard this term before, agape love, right? The kind of a giving, self-giving, forgiving love of the Father. That's exactly what's talked about here. And here are two other passages where we find this word in the New Testament. The first is in Mark chapter 1, and it says this, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So this is God the Father making a pronouncement from heaven on Jesus at his baptism. You are my beloved, same word, agapitas. You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then again, we find it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 18. It says, Jesus withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fill what was sp- spoken by the prophet Isaiah. So this is Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, same word, with whom my soul is well pleased. It is God the Father once again speaking these words to Jesus the Son. You might be thinking, and I was thinking too as I studied this word and went through the New Testament. Okay, so what, Nathan? God speaks these words, of course, as the Father to His very Son. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, right? Paul, Paul is doing a leap. And we've got to think about the leap that he's making. He's saying, you, therefore you. He's saying the the people who are in Ephesus that I'm writing this letter to, and this was a circular letter, all the people who are going to receive this letter, and God knew that this was going to get in the Bible, so it was going to be directed towards us. That he says, therefore all of you, that's us right here in this room, be imitators of God as beloved children. He is using the word agapitas for us. The same word God the Father used for Jesus is used for us. God the Father views you through a doctrine called justification by faith as Jesus. He pretends. He treats you as though you are Jesus. You are given the righteousness of Christ through the work of God by faith. This is incredible, y'all. And this is why Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. He's saying, look, God is treating you and pretending as though you are Jesus Christ. You are in that same position. You are the beloved, the beloved of God. Now you go and you pretend as though you are Jesus Christ also. He says, as you try these things on, as you wear these things, as you get more comfortable with this clothing, it's going to change your life and it's going to make a huge difference in the way you ethically treat people around you. It's going to make all the difference in your relationships with other people. And he says, how? How is this going to make a difference in your relationships with other people? He gave two things. He gives one right before this passage and one right after. He said, there's going to be an incredible amount of forgiveness in your life and there's going to be an incredible amount of of sacrificial love. You find the sacrificial love right here. He says, and I want you to walk in love. He says, you're Jesus now. God sees you as Jesus. You have access to the throne room of the Father. You are beloved. 
He looks over you and sings over you with delight. That's how much God loves you. And he says, now walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's make the second point here this morning. We are meant to reflect God. Not only are we loved as sons and daughters of the Father, we are meant also to reflect that very God. That's why I showed that picture of me with the little dressed up thing, right? We want to be like dad. Or we want to be like mom. If we're a woman, we learned how to live life. We learned how to do things. We, we learned how to give and to love from our parents, right? It's just absolutely natural. And so we are meant as Christians to reflect this God who loves us and comes into intimate relationship with us. What are the ways? Last week, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. We looked at forgiveness. Basically, forgiveness is this. In essence, somebody hurt you. Or maybe it's currently hurting you. It may be happening as we speak or this week or whatever. And because of that hurt, because of the harm that someone has done to you, they owe you. Right? They owe you. You feel it. You feel the sense of justice in your heart, as you should. Right? It's why we have a justice system in America. And God says, that's exactly what you've done to me. You've harmed me. You have... You have severed the relationship. You've created incredible damage between us. But you know what? Here comes Jesus Christ, and I'm going to completely forgive you. I am going to pay the debt that you owe. I'm going to pay the debt you owe. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the same thing with the people in your life that owe you a debt. I want you... Because you're, you're expecting... I'm the same way, y'all. That someone who's harmed you is going to eventually one day come to you and say, I'm so, 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 so sorry. What could I ever do to make it up? But if you're a real person living in the real world, you know that rarely happens. And instead, God is calling us through the gospel, through Jesus working in our hearts. He's saying, no, I want you, before that ever person ever comes to you, I want you to pay the debt. Because I'm going to fill you with my, the fullness of my love, and you are going to have the riches of Christ, and you are going to go start paying those debts of those people who have hurt you in your life. Whoa! Radical! Forgiveness, if you've never thought of it in that way, is radical. It should never happen. Why in the world would you, our, our justice system screams at this? Why would you pay the debt for someone who harmed you? They're supposed to pay it. No, no, not according to the gospel. Not according to the forgiveness that we've been given in Christ and that we've been charged with giving because of Jesus Christ. Okay, so that's forgiveness. But I want to I focus... Um, our time today on this thing called sacrificial, or you see it at the bottom, a, a fragrant offering, it's sa- sacrificial love. What does that look like? What does that mean? I think ultimately, if we look at the scriptures, it means two things. It means using your gifts in a sacrificial way with other people. That's the first one. And secondly, and I think most importantly, it means using your wound in a sacrificial way with other people. Let's unpack those. The first thing is your gifts. God's given gifts. We've already talked about this from Ephesians. Everyone has been given this wonderful gift from God because of what uh, Jesus has done. And we use them. My favorite time I've ever seen this was in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was in the stadium where NC State plays football. And I got to see a U2 concert. You ever been to a U2 concert? absolutely mind-blowing. And I remember, I don't remember what songs they did. 
I don't remember what happened. I don't remember the whole light system. It was amazing. The one thought I had as I was in the stadium and I was leaving the stadium as in I'm, as, and I'm here before you today is this. Those guys gave their all. I felt, I was like, this might be the one concert that kills them. The amount of love and energy that that band put into one concert blew my ever-living mind. They were, I was like, I was exhausted watching them perform. I mean, those guys were in incredible shape. And I just thought, thank you, Lord, because you too understands how to give their gifts to other people. They do. They get it. Do you do that? Do you use your gifts and a sacrificial, do you put yourself out, your giftings, whatever you're good at, whatever you've been blessed with, do you put it out there in a sacrificial way for the people around you? Or do you dole it out occasionally, you know, to people who ask? Or are you just absolutely spreading this town wide with the gifts that God has given you? That's the first thing, okay? Now, the harder part, I think, comes with the second piece that God, that, that Paul talks about a lot in his writings. He says, uh, this is in 2 Corinthians, and it's in chapter 5, uh, what chapter is it? I can't remember what chapter it is. But, um... He talks about the fact that God is the one who wants to use my weaknesses. He says, because when God uses my weaknesses, it's when God gets the most glory. Right? So when it's a, Paul says this, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because it's the power of God that's working within me. And so that principle holds true here, even for the sacrificial love that we give other people as we walk in love. What's your wound? What's the thing you're most ashamed of in life? Okay, that is where you are going to minister most fully. You may never have told another human being about what you are most ashamed of that you've done in your lifetime. It's very possible. I've only just begun after starting this church plant. But you will find, if God is at work and He is using that weakness in your life, you will find that you will bless beyond comprehension the people around you with your largest wound or the largest, the thing you're most ashamed of. You have to, okay, let's, let's think about this for a minute. You first, though, have to bring it to the light. You have got to share it with another human being. Not just with God, that's a good thing. Amen. Confess it to the Lord. But it's also got to be another human being. If you never have, do it this week. First of all, when you bring it to the light, you'll find that it begins to get healed. You'll find that it starts to actually get cauterized. Because the light does a work upon it, okay? Then you'll also find that as you get healed, God will bring people into your path where you can use that to dramatically help and affect those around you. That, I'm, I'm not kidding y'all, it's that simple. That's, I really believe that's what Paul's talking about here. He's like, you want to walk in sacrificial love? You're going to sacrifice for others with your gifts and you're going to sacrifice for others with your wound. God absolutely loves, loves to use your weakness. Why? Because he gets by far the most glory. Remember earlier we talked about what's the point of human life? What's the point of human beings? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We already know how to enjoy him, right? We're the sons and the daughters of the Father. It's, it's, a, it's a pure relationship of enjoyment. Now we get to reflect him. And how do we reflect him? By glorifying him. How do we glorify him? 
Yes, by using our gifts. Don't hear me wrong. That's an important thing. But if you're like me, when you're using your gifts, you're often getting a little bit of glory too, aren't you? Just admit it. Just admit it. Just say it. Just acknowledge it. You get a little glory too. It feels good, right? I mean, it's okay. It's okay. God gets the glory, and so do you. But when you're using your weakness, when you're using your wound, when you're using your shame, y'all, God gets all the glory, 100%. 100%. We, as a church, there is no doubt at all that we will make the most impact as we begin to reveal and use our weakness with those around us. It is dramatically powerful, the way that God uses that. Okay. So that's, that's, that's the final point about the fact that we both reflect God and He is our Father. So my, this is just my final application. Boom. And we're going to end early. Like I said, it's only two verses. Gut check number one. How vital right now is your relationship with the Father? You've you got to check on this one. Because none, we're about to hit chapter 5 of Ephesians. And it is going to get intense. He is going to talk about sin in our lives. He's going to talk about the debauchery in our lives. He's going to talk about the sins, our pet sins that we love. And you're, it's going to feel really tough. I'm going to, it feels tough to me already and I've just begun studying it. So I know it's coming for y'all too because he works on me first. But as we dive into that, it's important for us to be vitally connected with the Father. That's the only way we can begin to not only accept what Jesus is teaching us, what God is teaching us from his word, but also to live it out. It's where you get any energy. It's where you get any love. It's where you get any ability to walk this out is the relationship you have with the Father that is, that is created through the love of the Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, okay, gut check number two. There's only three, so this is going to be fast. Um, whose debt do you need to pay? Who's harmed you that you need to pay? You know, you know in your heart you've got to pay that debt. God's been calling you to it. God's been pushing you to it. God's been nudging you to it. Whose debt do you need to pay? Pick one person. Don't, don't go overboard and think, oh, 75 people have harmed me in my life. Well, I better go say sorry. Pick one. One. And pay their debt this week because of the riches of Christ that have been deposited in your own heart. Gut check number three. Final thing. Where can you use your weakness? I encourage you to find one person. One. Again, don't think of the 75. Pick one person. And, and either, for the first time ever, share the thing you're most ashamed of, or, if that's already happened, pick one person where you can begin to use your weakness in their life. And if you can't think of someone, if you can't find someone, pray about it. God will help. I guarantee with that. Um, and, and y'all, as we conclude, well, let's pray. Father, here we are. Father, we, we're your kids. You know I've been a wandering child so often in my life, Lord. And I'm sure some in here would say the same thing. 
So we pray that this week you would draw us back to yourself. Lord, we want to believe that the story of the prodigal son will be true for us, that that as we come back to you, you're going to run down the driveway and you're going to hug us and you're going to throw a ring on us and you're going to throw a robe on us. Lord, we want to believe it, Lord, but we struggle to believe it. I pray, Lord, for anyone in here who, who, is, who, who is ready to come back to the Father. Lord, I pray that this week would be the week. And Jesus, thank you that you have prepared the way. That as our older brother, Jesus, you come and you find us in that pigsty and you pick us up and you put your arms around us and you put your robe on us and you push us back to the arms of the Father. Jesus, you are the greatest lover we could ever have. The greatest, the one who loves us just as the Father does. Lord, I pray that the love that we feel would be overwhelming this week. And Lord, I pray also that you would guide us as we seek the people you would have us connect with. As as you show us where you want to use sacrificial love in our life, Lord. I pray that it would be clear and that it would be powerful. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.